The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. So Psalm 127, if you have a family and your kids are grown and they're out of the house, then this is a psalm you would have memorized a long time ago. If you're starting out a family, then this is perhaps a psalm you are busy reciting. If you have a desire to start a family at some point, this is a psalm that you should be meditating on. I want to read for us just kind of a way you know, to get started. Psalm 127, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Friends, we kind of introduced this theme last week by looking at the biblical foundations of establishing a godly family. Right? And it's important that we understand there is a spiritual foundation that we as a family need to have in order to have godly relationships. There's a reason why spouses fight. There's a reason why siblings have rivalries. I'll tell you, and this might make a lot of people upset, is because no one's laying a spiritual foundation to build on. And so we come from dysfunctional homes that you might have parents growing up, two parents in fact growing up. That doesn't mean you come from a healthy background or a healthy home. You can have two parents who live in the same house and still not be present. Many of us can come from a background where we have one parent who is more present than those who have two parents. Some of us even grow up from a background where we had a grandparent raise us. Some, in some cases, there are children growing up in organizations where they have no parents. And so we think it's going to be okay. I turned out okay, so society is going to be okay. Well, we've been saying that for 70 years. <laughs> and society is not okay. It's not. So, part of this biblical foundation was to establish the kind of relationships that carry the idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Meaning, serving one another with humility for the sake of Christ. But there's much more, my dear friends. In fact, I don't even know if we'll cover all of it in our series because there's just so much and we have so little time. But there's so much that needs to be said of the family. And our focus last week was to look at what is the world's influence have upon the family and how it needs to change. So this morning I want to add that even in the church, 
even somewhat isolated from today's society, we still get a glimpse of, of how society has impacted the family through the church. When the church begins to become progressive, when the church pursues pragmatism instead of the gospel, we see the roots of society take place in such a, you know, in such a gathering. There are many men and women today and perhaps 40 years ago, 40 years ago, whose church-going, Bible-reading parents frankly told their children, I wish I had never given birth to you. Church-going, Bible-reading parents. Perhaps you had a parent say that to you. What if I never had you? Friends, we, we tend to think, no, it's okay in the church. Relationships are fine in the church. Just this week, um, someone sent me a clip. This happened in May, this year, in May, it happened, where a pastor, after 20 years, confessed that he had immoral relations with a young girl in the church. And that he was, you know, willing to step down from, from leadership and deal with the repercussions. And the church, you know, erupted in applause and like, yes, that's great. You know, you're, you're taking responsibility until the girl and her husband went up to stage moments after he said this. And, and they shared everything. Friends, we are mistaken to just say, it's okay, it's, it's in the church. The church is fine. The church is safe. The church isn't unless we cultivate that, unless we protect that, unless we nurture that. If you do not have elders who are willing to speak the truth and live by that truth and die by that truth, my dear friends, the church doesn't have a spiritual foundation. It doesn't. We need to speak about these things more than just confess them. And so we see that even in the church, there are unhealthy relationships. I know of many people whose folks would time and time again say to their young children, I'm just going to run away. And then you think, you're, you know, that's okay. Your kids are fine. It's destroying your children. They lose trust in you. So friends, we, we tend to think it is going to be just fine and then we are mistaken you see what even happens in these in these instances outwardly these parents would give lip service to the privilege of being parents yes it's great i have three kids inwardly the parents are carrying the attitude that parenting is a burden and i have to endure it because i wanted to have these kids my dear friends how do such attitudes reside in a Christian's heart? How does... I mean, I couldn't wait to become a parent. And still, even now, with the frustrations and the hardship, I still share more joy than the frustration. See, I think many people have become captive to a culture that defines self-worth and fulfillment in terms of contribution, name, education, wealth. That if you don't have these things, who are you? 
Who are you in your community? Who are you in the church? Many churches choose their leadership, by the way, um, according to status of, of what men have in the church. Well, you drive this car, you run this business, you must be an elder. I mean, you're a leader. Come on. People outside church love you. Come be an elder. And then we want to ask why the church is in the state that it is today. I'll tell you why. It's because we're bringing the world in. And saying, hey world, come be part of us. What does scripture say? Go into the world. Not let them come here. Go into the world. Make disciples. Meaning people are being saved. And they're joining the church. They're becoming part of the church. My dear friends, I want to say that the world has put a priority on pursuing your personal desires more than anything else. The world is kind of creating the idea that your self-worth depends on you and what you do with it. When Christ says your worth has been purchased by life. I want to say, dear friends, if you've ever struggled to try to fit in with a society, if you've ever struggled to just, just fit in as a Christian, you won't. And that should comfort you. You won't fit in as a Christian. You don't share the same morals. You don't share the same values. You don't have the same worth because you've been bought with a price. Friends, society is teaching us today that there's no room unless your self, self-worth is elevated. And even if your own spouse or child is in the way, you can, you can hurdle over them. You can give up your family life to pursue these things, these goals, so to speak. So how does Psalm 127 help us establish the biblical principles for family God's way? How can a passage, how can a piece of scripture tell us to live a way God wants us to live? It starts with this. Establish a heritage. Establish a heritage. Again, Psalm 127 from verse 3 onwards says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a or the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. See, if we want to, if we desire to have families, if we desire to, to be married, then we need to understand each of us come from a background. Each of us come from um, various traditions, customs, cultures, and all these things play into life. And, and sometimes these customs and cultures are contrary to Scripture. And so we try and look for a place to where can we fit this in while I'm in the church, while I am a convicted Christian. A lot of the other times, which is more common in the church, is because these are your customs, because this is your background, this is just the way your brain is is wired. And so you're inclined to fall back into certain routines and customs and cultures and way of life, um, which shouldn't be the case. So as a family, you need to establish a new heritage. 
Um, and I'll explain now what this means in a moment. We need to exp- establish a, a new heritage, meaning every family should have an appreciation of, of their roots, both earthly and spiritual, but there's a gap in family today. A lot of our children have no sense of continuity or regard for family history. How many of you here this morning know more than just your great-grandfather? In fact, if you even know that much of your family. I mean, it's just, we've kind of lost it. It's everyone for himself. That's the kind of society we live in. Everyone for, your parents don't support you? Oh, come on, just move on. Forget them. But Scripture tells us that there is a sense of heritage in family, in the life of family. Look at verse 4 real quick. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Children are compared to arrows, suggesting that parents, like archers, launch their children into the future, aiming them to some distant target. How are we going to send our our daughters out to be married? And how are we going to send our men out to, to pursue wives when we aren't cultivating and teaching them you know, a Christian heritage. When we're teaching our, our young boys to, to be men of integrity, when we're teaching our daughters to be women of, of purity, I can tell you that this hasn't been happening by looking at today's mainstream media. There's a generation of parents that have failed to lead and disciple their children. And Christians, we can't say, yeah, but that's the world. It's us. It's people sitting in the church whose children are growing up with no spine, with no backbone. And we want to say, it's okay, the next generation will be fine. When even now it's not my dear friends, I want to continue by, by, by making the statement that parents should have a clear aim that their arrows are well directed into a future where they can continue having godly families. You see, what, what's happening today is this. Arrows are being fired. You know, Children are being sent out of the house from, from homes where Parents were undisciplined. So not just do these children come from a background where they are unsure of their family history, where they are unsure of even themselves. These children start families. They grow up and they have kids. And how do these kids grow up? The same way they grew up, in front of a screen. In front of a message that says your self-worth is most important. Then we go on to the other spectrum of the side. And we have a very traditional culture. It says these are our traditions. As men, we do not serve the household. The household serves us. Right? Amen, somebody. Not enough men in the church. I don't want to admit that. I'm t- Brother, we're from Africa. It's here. 
here is where we invented it. You come home, you come home from your hunt, you come home from your long day at work, it's boots off, you sit down, TV on, beer me. You know, where's my food? Women, I'm working the whole day. Why is the house a mess? You think that is a tradition to be proud of? That is a heritage? Please, that's embarrassing. That is embarrassing. So, the reality is that all of us, every generation, live in families that are dysfunctional in varying degrees. Right? <laughs> Some are dangerously dysfunctional, while others, you know, we would consider them an okay family. Here's the thing, we all make mistakes. We sin against our children. We sin against each other. They sin against us. Life is sometimes unfair. Life is sometimes cruel. The thing in establishing a biblical family is that we need to take responsibility for our actions. We need to take responsibility for our failings. If you as a parent failed to teach your child a lesson, own up to it. Don't cover it up. But instead, modern psychology suggests we deal with the issues that we have today because of what happened in our childhood. The, the unattractive, destructive heritage that we come from. Oh, your parents didn't support you enough. Your parents didn't... It, and it might very well be the case. It, it might well very be the case. Here's the issue. Are you going to blame your circumstances or take responsibility? A godly family takes responsibility. That yes, we grew up lacking. Or we grew up with un, without understanding. Scripture tells us that when in salvation, even in salvation... We grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can't make excuse for our sin. So, but I didn't know. No, you know because you're growing, you're learning. So part of establishing a heritage for us today as young families, if, if you as a family think you're already established and like, how do I change my heritage now? You do so biblically. You take responsibility for what has happened in the past. And even what role you played in that. Take for example, there's a family, let's say it's the Doe family. Everyone in the Doe family learned that Uncle, Uncle Ted can't be mentioned without suggesting a negative response. He was the, che the stingiest cheapskate in the province, they said about Uncle Ted. But in reality, back in the 1960s, the reason why he is the so-called cheapskate uncle is because he refused to give his brother a loan with good intention. No, but now, according to the family, Uncle Ted of the Dove side of the family is a, a stingy cheapskate. That's what he is. Even if he does something good, nope, that's Uncle Ted. You can't expect anything good coming from Uncle Ted. The reality about Uncle Ted... He had a great sense of humor. He was the one that gave all the children their first piggy bank. Nevertheless, the family describes him by removing all the good deeds and claiming that Uncle Ted was condemned to be a penny pincher 
in the family's eyes. Friends, the hard reality is this, and I'm sure many of you can relate. In our families, we do this. Oh, uncle so-and-so, cousin so-and-so. When we're not sharing anything positive about our family, that's why today we want to be so disconnected from our family. Because we just hear the terrible things. Hey, growing up, your uncle did this. Growing up, your aunt did that. It's like, I don't want to know such people and their family. Of course I don't want to be around. So what needs to change? Part of establishing a family heritage is cultivating forgiveness. Cultivating forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard, amen? Anyone in the room? Forgiveness is hard, right? And this is kind of where we start with this. The discipline of forgiveness is essential to building your family and enhancing your heritage. As Christians, we must discipline ourselves by God's grace to forgive and forget the wrongs done to us. Friends, I grew up not knowing cousins on one side of my family at all. I happened to meet two of them because they were in the same high school as what I was. It's crazy. And, and for what? Bitterness that, that relatives don't want to you know, deal with. Grievances that people don't want to forgive. And I became best friends with these cousins. Problem is we couldn't go to each other's houses. Just hang out. Well, we'll see you in town. Let's just do that. It's crazy, friends. And so we think, no, we'll be okay as a family. We'll do this by ourselves, man. We're strong enough. You're raising your children with the idea that there are people who are supposed to be close to them that are bad. You know, don't be around these uncles that are stingy and bitter. Don't visit your aunts because you know, they have children out of wedlock. And How are you going to share the gospel with your family? I understand that even as Christians, it's number one, it's already hard to witness to your family when they're unbelievers. But it's even harder if you participate in the charade of demeaning your relatives, your loved ones. So it starts with cultivating the discipline of forgiveness. Now having said that, forgiveness is closely related to also being positive about those around us. Yes, some relationships are hard, period. Work relationships, family relationships, friendship relationships. So when it comes in the family setting, it's like, man, I don't know how I forgive this one. We forgive in the power of Christ. And because we do that, we are able to be positive around such people. It's tempting to ponder on the negatives and the bad memories. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You say, but they don't act that way. I realize. I realize. And therefore, they should be the benefit of the doubt. If you want to build a family God's way, then you need to be mindful that your life, dominated by sin and the power of destructive relational habits, are gone. They're gone. 
Even if those people are no longer part of your life, don't cling to those bitter you know, feelings, those sad memories. Cultivating a, a, a family heritage is not done on bitterness. It's done with forgiveness. It's done by being positive about even those who have injured us. So no matter what your past heritage is, where you've come from, and what kind of family you belong to, you are new in Christ. Listen, whatever you or your spouse's backgrounds, even if you have no spouse and you feel hopelessly alone, you can build an enduring sense of heritage that will extend to your children and to their children. Cultivating healthy relationships. When you as a spouse argue and fight, it's coming together and, and, and pleading for forgiveness in front of your kids. Right? Your kids saw you fight. Your kids saw you explode. But show, now show them how you reconcile. Now show them how you forgive. Because if you, let's for example say you and your husband fight, your son Billy sees the whole thing. But he never sees how you reconcile. He sees the fight take place, man, and it's brutal. And three hours later, oh honey, could you make me some tea? Your children are growing up with the idea that I can explode and everything's fine. No, that's not how we create a heritage for our children. When we sin in front of them, we must reconcile in front of them. We must teach them. We must show them. If we don't, the harm is so deep and destructive. So here's some disciplines to help you get started. Um, just kind of paving a way for a healthy family heritage. Number one, and this won't be very fun. List all the injustices of the past. List them. So-and-so did this to me. So-and-so did that. I did this to so-and-so. It won't be a very fun assignment, but I tell you what, I'll give you two scriptures that you can put with this. Colossians 3, verse 12 to 13. Colossians 3, verse 12 to 13. And Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. These scriptures are helpful when it comes to dealing with forgiveness, the forgiveness of others. Right? So you write down those grievances because I'm sure some of us still, still feel this thing, meaning we haven't really forg forgiven. We haven't really dealt with. So, but, yeah, but forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. You're right, forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. Therefore, you need to choose to forget. Work past it. Work through it. Come to reconciliation. Secondly, once you've made this choice, once you've decided, I'm doing this, I'm going to forgive, don't try and do this by your own strength. Don't forgive by your own strength. Philippians 4 verse 13. 2 Corinthians 12 9. Draw this grace which is a unique grace from Christ himself 
Christ will help you deal with these issues of bitterness so that you can arrive at a place of forgiveness. Number three, list the good things that you may have received from your parents or those who raised you. Now, even if your situation is totally destructive, you still received the color of someone's eyes, your hair, your physique, your abilities. Life itself came from your parents. Thank the Lord for these gifts. Thank the Lord for these gifts. Verses such as um, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Ephesians 5.20, Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7. These verses help us just bring you know, to our consciousness a thankfulness for what we have because of our parents. Finally, number four, make a list of all the things you would like to pass on as a legacy for your children and grandchildren. What, what did your grandfather or your father, what did your mother or your grandmother, what did they teach you that a great-grandmother or great-grandparent taught them that has stood out for you, that, that has created good memories in your life? Make a list of these things that you'd want to one day give to your children. Maybe it's, it's attitudes, maybe it's, it, but it's a spiritual inheritance, friends. Whatever interest it is. Fishing. Man, I have no desire to fish. There's a reason for that. I had no one teaching me how to fish, no one taking me fishing. Today, do I want to do that? No, I don't care for fishing. But my kids might. We'll see. They don't like it, it's cool with me. <laughs> Alright, All right. so secondly, let's move on. It's our second point and then we'll come to a close. Establish your own traditions. Establish your own tradition. I want to just differentiate here. Establishing a heritage is all about having your roots as a family deepened. You're kind of just working on on your family legacy, a a godly family legacy. For example, the Wittendals, Pastor Johan, who's now ministering in Leidenburg. To your amazement, maybe, but a lot of us do know this. The Wittendall family have a legacy of being Baptist ministers. Um, Pastor Jan's dad wasn't a minister, but his grandfather was a minister. And his great-grandfather was a minister. And Pastor Jan's uncles were ministers. It's like, what a legacy. When you talk about Baptist and Wittendall, a lot of people know, yeah, yeah, the Wittendalls, yeah. They... In fact, the first Baptist church was planted by one of Pastor um, relatives, by and Wittendall. It's amazing. I mean, that, what a legacy. What a legacy. Don't force your kids to go into ministry. Amen. Alright? So, here's the thing. Establishing traditions is all about expanding these roots through customs or practices that you as a family get to perform. Maybe it's a weekly game night. Maybe, but I tell you, there's positive things growing up as kids, man. Oh, on Christmas, we, we would go out kind of late, way past our bedtime, half past nine, you know, we would go out and we would get ice cream from Milky Lane, which was expensive, but man, we got ice cream from Milky Lane, and you could choose your topping regardless, like you, I just take it all in, just dip it in chocolate caramel and just throw everything on there, I'll be sick the next morning, but who cares, you know, and then when you get home, all the presents are hidden in your room, and our rooms were always a mess, so it was hard to find them, 
Well, that was cool, man. That was, you know, that was a tradition in our home until we sadly outgrew it. So there are good traditions. Perhaps many families have a tradition where they would go fishing at least one holiday in a year or on a camping trip or they would hike the last day of school. These kind of things. Cultivate and establish traditions for you and your family. Think about how you can involve your loved ones. One of the traditions um, we actually inherited, my wife and I, is French, French toast on Sundays. And her folks used to do that on Sundays. So we just kept it going. It's fun. I know on Sunday I'm getting French toast. So, hey, what a win. It's something small. It's something simple. But, man, it's, it's a tradition in the home. It's fun for us to share that. And we can't wait to share it with our kids. Many people want to kind of establish, you know, these big idea transitions when they had none to begin with and then they end up failing these things. Start small, start simple. Weekend hikes, you know, monthly camp trips, those might be too much. Might be too much to even begin with. If a family is not prepared for the demand, what this, you know, the demand this tradition brings, you're going to lose out on it. It's worth trying, but I mean, you need to consider your strengths and your giftings. Now, where do we come from with this? Why, why, why speak about it on a Sunday morning? Why bring it into our series? In Joshua chapter 3, verse 15 to 17, we see God's people establish a tradition. You see, there was a miracle that took place. The instant the priests were, were, were carrying the Ark of the Covenant... And they set foot in the Jordan River. The waters stopped. And, and like the swelling heap, leaving the, the naked riverbed, all the way down south to the, to, to, to the Dead Sea, for hours the Israelites were able to travel. And they traveled down... Um, all Israel eventually stood on the west bank, watching as the twelve men approached with the ark. Then kneeling the priests, kneeling at the priests' feet, each one took a stone from the river, or the bottom of the river, remembering it's open now, and began a process to build up um, a heap at the west bank. The people were waiting, and as they were waiting, they were piling these stones on one another. And there stood these rocks, unpolished, just this, this heel of rocks, which, which symbolized the Israelites coming from a place of being delivered by God's hand. So they erected this small heel of, of stones. And this to them was a remembrance of, of what the Lord did, how the Lord provided, how the Lord liberated and you would think, but they just did that as a sign of remembrance. As you read further on in Joshua, God gave this command to Israel through Joshua. And so it says, let the stones be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial 
forever. Right? So it's given as a sign. But that's not where it stops. It's not just a statue we forget about. Later on, Joshua comes back and he observes this pile of stone. He's establishing a tradition. He is mindfully saying that this is something we need to celebrate. This is something we need to keep going in our heritage for many generations to come. Because it will tell them of God's hand of deliverance. Listen, the stones weren't any man's idea. It wasn't even Joshua's idea. These stones were erected in response to God's command. So, how do we kind of tie that in? Friends, there might be something that you as a family do that ends up being so uplifting, so sanctifying, so memorable that that establishes a tradition for your household. And you'll remember it for generations and generations to come. I know the Yanash family, I've heard you know, stories growing up on a mission base singing Sutu hymns and you know, getting all up to all the good and all the bad. But they had these traditions growing up. And in a sense, some of it's been cultivated. So how do we go about building a family treasury of stones of remembrance? How do we start these traditions? How do we look back to these memories? Firstly, Spend some time reading Joshua chapter 4. Just, just kind of see how the Lord worked with the people, how the Lord used the people, how these people you know, responded. And then ask God to help you recall, you know, for, for an older family, ask God to help you recall some of the memories that, that were significant to you. Maybe take a photo album and kind of go back to those things. For a young family, a new family, think of something that recently happened that you really want to kind of just celebrate and keep in, in your family. And then secondly, record these memories. And as you expand on your photo album, I know many people don't do photo albums anymore because it's just everything is digital. Um, but, it, but record your memories. Don't let it be a temptation to sit behind your camera but there are many times where you as a family will sit around a table and, and play some games or have a meal and, and come up with the greatest conversations and, and laugh so much that the kids go to bed with stomach cramps, you know, and then you have nothing of it. So, oh man, that, remember that night? Record your memories, write them down, diarize them. Um, maybe start a family notebook. Thirdly, share your memories. Don't just go to it, like a lot of us do this. We go on holiday, we take a ton of photos, put it on a folder and we forget about it. And then just by chance, you know, Facebook reminds us. That's not how we're going to cultivate any traditions. Um, share your memories. Birthdays provide rich times, perhaps for parents, to recall, you know, how God has provided over the years. How God has even given their children as a miracle of life. Holidays, a lot of us, as I just recalled, Christmas. We had a tradition growing up at Christmas. And for me to look back at it as a, as a small boy, it's like, yeah, that was life, man. Safe. You don't know. You don't know what mortgage does to you. You don't, you know, you don't know these things. It's good. Thirdly, or thirdly was to share memories. Then I want to challenge us. Fourthly, parents. Don't sleep in. 
Don't sleep in. When it's a public holiday, when it's school holidays, when it's a Christian holiday, take the opportunity. Um, take your family out. Go picnic. Go hiking. Do something as a family. Because if we don't, we're just never going to have any traditions. And our kids are going to grow up not having any memories of these exciting but challenging things that we've done. How many kids, you know, how many young adults are here this morning who, who grew up with, you know, one of the most exciting things for us as a family was to watch TV on a, you know, whatever night of the week. I'm like, hey, we can do better. We can do better by establishing traditions and doing things together, sharing things together. So I want to kind of conclude with this. When a family is building on these principles, building your own heritage, building your own tradition, having Psalm 127 in mind, I think you will come to realize how blessed a family really is. How precious family really is. I understand this. We live in the 21st century. A lot of us cannot do what we were able to do or what our parents were able to do 70 years ago. We have wives who are working full-time. We have husbands who are working full-time. We send our kids to, to, to school and then to care centers for how many hours a day? I'm not talking about those things. We pray, you know, that the situation can, can change. But regardless even of that schedule sadly many of us have because of you know financial reason we can still cultivate a healthy family by establishing our own heritage and traditions and we do that on the foundation of God's word and then my dear friends you will soon become a Psalm 128 family let me read it for us Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Friends, we want to be families who are blessed in the fear of the Lord. We want to have families or be part of families where our wife, who's, who's a fruitful vine, meaning you know, she, she, she is someone who is well-rounded with her hands. You know, we, want to, we want to have children who are like olive shoots around the table. It means if we fear the Lord, there is peace. You know, the reference with a wife being a fruitful vine refers to refreshment. And finally, you know, children sitting around the table like olive shoots refers to constant growth. What a joy I think it is as a, as a Christian family to not only have peace in your house, but refreshment and constant growth. I know that for me as a husband, I am trying relentlessly to release my wife of obligation that she shouldn't need to deal with because of today's society. So that my wife would be a refreshment in the house. 
I look at our daughter growing up and my desire is that the Lord would bless us with more children and have them grow and see constant growth in our house. Single men, single women, if you desire anything, pray for the Lord to bring such a family about through you. For those of us who are here, who have families, who, who, whose children have gone and started families. For us to say, but we don't have all those roles in our home. I believe you can still experience peace, refreshment, and constant growth in your homes. When you're pursuing, not only in obedience to the Lord, but cultivating a family life where your kids know they are loved where they know they are being pursued. Friends, this can be us. And it should be us. Don't make it an idol. Don't pursue it when you shouldn't be pursuing it. This is a way of life. So let's ask the Lord in response to give us the wisdom and the opportunities to cultivate our family God's way. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning. As we know, many of us have various desires. We have various longings and we have various expectations. And I pray, regardless of where we are within modern society, and I know that many of us have desires as men, as women, even our children as they grow, each one has desires. And Lord, I know that some of these desires, many of these desires can be good things, especially in the family life. But Lord, we also know that when they become idols in our lives, it quickly destroys and robs us from being a biblical family. So Lord, as we understand these scriptures, as we seek to apply these truths, would you encourage us by the guidance of your Holy Spirit and the truth that is in your word. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.